0: recent meetings, uh, Stan uh, made a little comment about my messages, and I I think he was saying maybe they're a little long, and uh, related to that, last night uh, uh, we had some political candidates over at our place, and uh, Cecil Washington was there, and and, uh, if you know Cecil, he's a pastor, of a black church that meets out at Forbes Field, and, and I was talking to Fred Holloman, who is a retired Baptist pastor, that when he retired, he went out and joined, as a wh- Caucasian couple, they went out and joined Cecil's church out there, and a minister out there, and he said they have been working on Cecil to get his, his messages down under about an hour and a half. Uh, 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 he said, if we ever have any white people come, they'll just leave, you know, uh, And uh, so for Stan, who's on guard duty, if you're listening out there, Stan, I'm going to try to beat Cecil today. (laughs) We appreciate that. Uh, Brad, good to see you, brother. Good to have you here. Thank you. Um, A few months ago, we started to talk about how to respond to our culture and the attacks, and how to really bring the issue back to God. And, and I think it was in July that we talked about how to respond to particular issues, and, you know, like school violence, and corporate greed, and diversity, and terrorism, and, and those sorts of things. And Again, how to bring the issue back to the central theme of God, which we have tended to avoid. And last month, we talked about the, the heavyweight issue of abortion, and uh, and how we can respond on that issue in a more effective way. And and what we want to do now is turn to kind of the bellwether issue of our culture, of uh, kind of a landmark of our culture, actually, and how we relate as men and women. Warning, you know, in addressing this topic, I may say some things that. Make you feel a little uncomfortable, and i don 't mean in the graphic sense i mean I hope that you will think about some of these issues. Uh, today, we want to talk about the sanctity of marriage, not the nuts and bolts necessarily, not you know how to have a great marriage, although we we may touch upon that, but really the security of the institution of marriage, the assault on marriage in our culture, and that oxymoron gay marriage. Now, I say that because uh, several years ago I got involved with uh, uh, the effort to pass a constitutional amendment in, here in Kansas to define marriage as one man and one woman. And in doing so, I talked to a lawyer at the Alliance Defense Fund named Glenn Levy, and he's the expert on this issue in in their headquarters in Arizona. And when I mentioned gay marriage, he said, No, 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 no. No such thing. We need to ingrain in people that there is no such thing as gay marriage. That's a contradiction in terms. We've got to keep the definition of marriage as central. And thank you, Dan. I no no, no tell what kind of damage I would <laughs> cause here well, i'm I'm surrounded by technology okay and And this concern over the meaning of marriage is really one of the common sense arguments on our side uh, in In two thousand and two, the Hoover Institute uh, published an article about marriage, gay marriage, polygamy, and polyamory, which is group marriage if there is such a thing. Uh, and, and in that they recognize that marriage to most Americans means monogamy. And so adultery is clearly understood as a transgression against that institution. And legal polygamy would jeopardize that understanding of marriage. And that's why polygamy has historically been treated in the West, anyway, as an offense against society itself. Ironically, they note that the greatest threat to the meaning of marriage comes from relationships among excuse me heterosexuals. Now imagine this: a young single mother of maybe multiple children who 's unemployed or underemployed uh, and sees little prospect of of remarrying. Uh, has a good friend who's also a female and who's also heterosexual, but who has no family, but a good job with great spousal benefits. And if we had a law that defined marriage as, you know, regardless of gender of either party, what would be the problem with them having a marriage of convenience? She would have an income. She'd have somebody to share the expenses with. She'd have insurance for her kids. And the other lady, this single lady, would have companionship and a family. And if lightning struck uh, and, and some guy came into the lives of either one of them, they could divorce and, and, and have a heterosexual marriage. This was a prognosis back in 2002 Just three years later, Fox News reports that uh, they're just friends now, but they'd like to be friends with benefits. Uh, In uh, the Ottawa Sun, this is Ottawa, Canada, not Ottawa, Kansas, uh, Bill Dalrymple, age 56, and his best friend, Brian Penn, age 65, have decided to take the plunge and try out Canada's new same-sex marriage legislation with a twist. They're straight. It's a, I think it's a hoot, Penn said. There are significant tax implications that we don't think the government has thought through, and they simply want to shed light on the widespread financial implications of the new legislation, and they're willing to take it all the way. You know, the assault on marriage is sometimes almost comedic, but it's, much, it's, it's about much more than just rights. It's about taking an institution... That has been the cornerstone of our culture and robbing it of its very meaning. Now, once marriage means something other than one man and one woman, where do you draw the line? If you extend it to any gender, then how can you justifiably constrain it to just two people? What's wrong with polygamy? at that point. What's wrong with group marriage? In fact, you know, if they pass that, we could all be married. (laughs) I mean, how do you draw a line? And that's one of the problems. How do we respond to this assault on marriage and morality and ultimately on God? But, But let me first ask a more pragmatic question. Why should you care? I mean, we've got lots of single folks here. We've probably got divorced folks. We've got widows. Uh, You may be in a marriage now. It may be a difficult marriage. It may be a great marriage. Why should you care if a couple of people of the same gender get together and they have a ceremony and they're called married? Well, I suggest that we take a look at the Word of God. First, we're going to start in Ephesians 5, if you want to turn there. Familiar passage, but an important one. And there, starting in verse 22, Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church. He himself, being the Savior of the body, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church, and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own life loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking with reference to Christ in the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the, the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Now, Paul here seems to be writing about marriage But he tells us that he's really explaining the relationship between Christ and the church. The Word of God uses the illustration of marriage to partially reveal the nature of the mysterious relationship between Christ and the church. And while I don't know that we can fully understand that spiritual oneness with Christ uh, in its full extent, we somehow have become one with Christ in the same way that a husband and wife become one flesh. Now, referring to marriage, what that tells me is that one flesh in marriage goes far beyond the physical, Uh, that marriage is a very special relationship with clear spiritual as well as physical dimensions. So I believe God sees marriage as the most important relationship among people. But there are other reasons that this issue should concern us. Please turn to Romans 1. And We'll start there in verse 18. <clears throat> For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they they are without excuse. Let's pause there. This is one of the most basic and significant passages in the Word of God, I believe. You see, no one can look up at the starry sky at night or look at one's own tiny human cell and be ignorant of God. Um, God has made his existence so evident no one can claim ignorance of the hand of God In his face. Clearly, some people turn away from God. But no one really has an excuse, which amounts to, I never knew he was there. This passage that we just read is the foundation for one of the strongest condemnations in God's word. Let's continue, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over to their lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Again, does this sound familiar? Can can anybody deny that our culture worships the human body more than it worships God? Let's finish up this passage. 26. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function of that which is for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. "...being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval." to those who practice them. Now, parents, you ever said to your children, what is it about the word no that you don't understand? Yeah. Now, could it be any clearer that God has an order for physical relations? And when we violate that order, He, not other men, condemn it, condemns it. As sin. Where these theologians come, how they come to the conclusion that the Bible never condemns sodomy is beyond me. But why do homosexuals care about marriage? Well, simply put, the label is the key to normalization of what has historically been considered deviant. It's as simple as that. I suspect that very few overall are really interested in marriage. And we should all care about this issue because God has drawn a pretty bright line here. And if we love others, we do not idly stand by while they change the heart and mind of our culture to call what is evil good. No issue really strikes at the core of our culture like the issue of marriage. Just as the creation issue is to our purpose here on earth, so marriage is to our societal structure and Our security. Now, there's still strong support in the heartland for the concept of traditional marriage. Just a few years ago, we we, there were about seventy percent of the voters, the people that voted anyway, who approved the Kansas amendment uh, to the constitution regarding marriage. Now, those of those of us who are old enough, if you think back, if this vote was taken forty to fifty years ago. I'd be surprised if it was under 90 or maybe even 95%. percent there has been some slippage. And literally, our, the cultural fabric of our country is fraying at the edges, particularly the northeast and the left coast, uh, where courts have strayed from the traditional understanding of marriage. Uh, why is the assault on marriage so virulent today? Well, I don't know all the reasons, but I suspect that one reason is because the church has not argued <clears throat> from a, a position of credibility. You know, despite megachurches and Christian radio and Christian TV and, and a pretty hefty influence in politics, the church really has not maintained a significant moral authority to speak on such issues in our culture. With a divorce rate nearly equal to that of the world's, pornography ravaged the lives of Christian men, including pastors, uh, and and scandal among so-called Christian leaders, not to mention uh, clergy pedophilia, it's not hard to see how we have abdicated our moral authority to speak on these issues of the day. What's the answer? Well, it's not to be silent. But I think it's to, frankly, reform the church from the inside out. You know, Jesus said remove the beam from your own eye before you try to remove the moat from your brother's. Yeah. Paul recognized this debilitating effect of hypocrisy on one's witness when it, uh, as it related to the Jewish Christians who persisted in living under the law. Uh, that they simply could not keep. In Romans 2, it says, You who boast in the law, through your breaking the law, do you dishonor God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, just as it is written. So we've got a first, first and primarily, we've got to repent and reform within the church if we're to have a real impact on our culture. This starts with, frankly, accountability. Accountability. Confessing our faults one to another, praying for one another, and therefore we've got to trust one another enough to be vulnerable with one another, admit temptation, and seek help from one another. Well, uh, because uh, legislatures and Congress are subject to the voters as our executives the homosexual advocates have turned to the one branch that's not the judiciary. And because of the makeup of our United States Supreme Court, the, the future of the institution of marriage is now in serious question. Just like with the issue abortion, of abortion, the next presidential appointment to the court will be vital to this issue. Now, I may be wrong about this, I hope I'm not, but I'm fairly sure that marriage will remain an institution uh, during most of my life. But, young people, what about you? Yours and succeeding generations are the ones at risk here. Think about it. Or it's Stephen Grace whether it's Jonathan, whether it's Jonathan and and Jenna, Will it matter to you if your children see marriage primarily as a bundle of rights which extends to any sex or any number of people? How will you feel if your your children questioned why they should even consider the old-fashioned notion of marriage to the person or persons they think they want to live and sleep with at the time. Because that's where we're slipping toward. Well, what can we do to stem the cultural tide here? Well... I suggest you get involved, but it's going to take more than registering to vote, knowing who to vote for, and actually getting out to vote. And I suspect some of you young people haven't even done that. Brad Bright strongly believes that if we continue our present defense, simply condemning homosexual behavior, we're going to lose. Brad is the author of God is the Issue, the the book that kind of is the basis for this series. Uh, And he suggests that we view this behavior as a platform from which to to discuss God instead of reacting to it. Uh, He believes that we should usually ignore the behaviors because pagans are going to act like pagans no matter what we say. And he suggests some strategies depending on the circumstances. And we'll name a few of those here. When the homosexual lobby promotes their lifestyle in the classroom, these students, Christians, should publicly insist on exercising their free speech rights to talk about traditional or biblical views of marriage and relations. It is the government teachers who cannot endorse a religion. The students may. The First Amendment and notions of academic freedom are our allies. And if our view is disallowed, we should probably say something about censorship. How about a private company that requires training to combat homophobia? Well, Christian employees should graciously request equal opportunity to promote their views. If the company balks, someone outside the, the company could publicly chastise the company for promoting intolerance toward people of faith. You've all heard about the United Way and the Boy Scouts, how they want to defund them over their refusal to allow homosexuals into leadership. That's an opportunity to uh, accuse that agency of censorship, bigotry, and intolerance of religious belief. Uh, When hate speech is introduced into a legislature, Christian politicians should insist upon an amendment for religious speech in any form, manner, or location. And when if people balk at that request, uh, we can ask why we want to censor people of faith. Um, these are all good suggestions. Brad Bright uh, argues that we've got to keep the other side on the defensive and never allow the debate to focus on homosexual behavior. Frankly to that view, I I got to humbly dissent myself. I understand what he's saying. We've got to be careful about this debate because we can get mired down in those arguments. But I'm reminded again, like in the abortion issue, that uh, what it says in Proverbs 24, deliver those who are being taken away to death and those who are staggering to slaughter, hold them back If you say, we didn't know it, does he not consider it who weighs the hearts? And does he not know it who keeps your soul? And will he not render to every man according to his works? We're responsible for warning people. And we can't force pagans to change. But we have an obligation under God to warn others of the consequences of sin. From there, each individual is responsible for their own actions. You see, sin really does have demonstrable consequences. It may be true that telling someone whose heart is hardened to the very existence of God that the wages of sin is eternal death is an exercise in futility. However, we might be able to get their attention with proof that the consequences of their behavior is disease, misery, premature physical death, and that they're not condemned by genetics to that faith, fate. If we can get them to listen through competent and credible evidence coupled with a genuine concern for their well-being, we may then earn a hearing on the issue of eternal health. Back in 2002, the city of Topeka conducted hearings on special rights uh, ordinance um, which would, you know, prevent people from doing certain things on the issue of sexual orientation. And during those hearings, there was one professor after another from KU and Washburn who got up and said, oh, the studies find that uh, there are no harmful consequences and that these people are born this way. They cannot help it. And uh, they said these things with impunity because our side... Had no one with letters after their name to counter those arguments. Therefore, when the issue came back up in 2004, I decided a little bit of a counterattack, not by myself because I don't have any credibility in this area. But I asked Christian doctors Tag and Win if they had something to say on the issue, and it so happened that God had prepared these these men for such a time as that. Both had made presentations within the Christian community uh, about this issue, but to my shame, nobody had ever asked them to engage in the battle. So uh, during those hearings, one of them covered the serious medical consequences of homosexual conduct, and the other addressed the lack of credible findings in research on genetic determination of sexual orientation. The other side was simply dumbfounded that we had somebody on our side with letters after their name who knew something about the issue. Allen was actually able to make his presentation to the legislative committee considering the Kansas Marriage Amendment, and it was very impactful. Why was this effective? Because these doctors were not only good communicators, but they had credibility. The rest of us don't have you know, that training, and, 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 and we can't say those things on our own with that kind of punch. But we can, if in a situation, we can find ways to at least hold off a landslide with a little work. For example, I was asked a few years ago to confer with a legislative committee on the, dealing with children on the issue of adoption. And one of the legislative staff warned me, that an issue that could come up is the issue of gay adoption. And I determined then, that, well, I, if it comes up, I'm going to have to say uh, I don't assist with gay adoptions for the same reason I don't assist with unmarried heterosexual people wanting to adopt because, first of all, because two of those people can't adopt. It has to be one individual or a married couple. And to put a child into a home with the emotional ties to an individual that has no legal responsibility to that child, but they consider that, ch- that person as a parent, would be foolhardy. But did I have anything to back it up as to why that would not be a good idea? So I just decided to look on the Internet, and I'm a Neanderthal in that area, but it was not hard to find a bunch of research that indicated the harmful effects on children and all I had to do is if, if somebody were to make the comment, well, uh, gay couples are are just as good or better parents than heterosexual couples, I would be ready to say, well, I'm not an expert on this, but I've got quite a bit of research here that shows the contrary. Is anybody interested? You know, that was my attempt to try to be ready for that particular problem. and you know, it was easy because the stuff is out there. We just, don't, we just don't dig very much. In Homer's Odyssey, Odysseus and his men had to sail between the twin perils of Scylla and Charybdis. Okay? If you're not familiar with the Odyssey... Scylla was a six-headed monster, and she lived in a cave above the the water passage. And when a vessel sailed by, she would reach out with her heads and snatch six of the crew members of the passing vessel. On the other side was Charybdis, a gulf which three times daily would suck water into a whirlpool and three times disgorge the water. And any ship that passed by could not, if passed by too close, could not escape the whirlpool. Not even Neptune could save the vessel. What would they have to do with this? Well, in Topeka, anyone who wishes to sail a biblical course on this issue must contend with the Scylla of the little church in the borough to the west of us <laughs> with its multi-wrong-headed and wrong-hearted condemnation. Uh, the signs I saw recently, they, they covered it all. I've seen, you know, fag this, fag that, fag marines. Now they've got one that said, God hates you. He just covers everything. On the other hand, we've got the charybdis, of the homosexual advocates clamoring to suck us in to a whirlpool argument on diversity and tolerance and social injustice. So, how do we respond to these twin perils? Again, let's take a look at the Word of God. In 1 Peter 3, it's got some sage advice. After talking, actually, about marriage, it says to sum up, all of you, In verse 8, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. The one who desires life, To love and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. He must turn away from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears attend to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness... You are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. Yet, with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better... If God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right, then for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Now, how do you respond to the picketers? Who knows? I know the media has taken the tact as we simply ignore them. Uh, I don't know. I kind of think it would be good to say... Bless you. You know, God loves you, and he even loves me. (laughs) How do you respond to individuals that you might come into contact with who are in the homosexual lifestyle? I suspect in this group it's not with screaming and taunting, but it could be with a little bit of uncertainty, if not avoidance we need to understand some things about this particular issue and those people. Several years ago when we were dealing with this issue in Topeka, uh, a man from Focus on the Family by the name of Mike Haley came and and addressed some pastors and some others, and he taught us a number of things about people who fall into the trap of gender confusion. First of all, uh, all people to some extent, I won't say are bisexual, but are bi-affectionate. Chrissy says I need to be careful about this. Okay, have you ever seen uh, a a boy with his arm around his pal? You ever seen uh, a young girl combing the hair of another girl? You ever seen men hug? Okay, those are all signs of affection. Now, it's clear there's a line that should not be crossed in terms of affection. But frankly, God told us to love one another, regardless of gender. And we do. Everybody does. And the studies show that most homosexuals admit that they have had, at some time in their life, an attraction for the opposite sex. I believe that what we call homosexuality today is simply those who have crossed the line. And we're not all that much different. Secondly, the phrase homosexuality is a choice is not altogether true. That's not the whole picture. Uh, whatever the cause, those with the tendencies are tempted by in the same way that heterosexuals are tempted to fornicate or commit adultery. Once there's a predisposition there toward homosexuality, the temptation is not a choice. Something that Mike made clear to us. What is a choice is when you act upon the temptation and cross the line, just like it is for the rest of us. Be careful about using that term. Finally, research also shows that most homosexuals come from homes without a father present or a poor relationship with a father, including lesbians. Now, this does not mean by any stretch of the imagination that everybody from a single parent home is going to turn out this way. Only if there is a strong correlation. Hence, we need to vigorously defend marriage and the traditional family. If there's no father in the home, one would be wise to find positive role models. You know, to be honest, if something, God forbid, were to happen to Christy, do you think I would want Lydia to grow up and be proud of her burp after a meal? No. I would want to surround her with godly women that would mentor her to become one. All right? You guys understand what I'm saying. Uh, Boys need to be around positive father figures, role models really, more than they need peers. If there is a father but it's a strained relationship, it's really pretty important that the father and the child work out the problems as best they can and get help if they need it. When Mike Haley finished his presentation to the pastors, he told us a true story of a father's love for his son. He said, the son said to the father, Dad, I'd like to run a 5K with you. And the father said, Well, you and I have never run before, but, you know, if, if you want to, we'll train and we'll run it. And they did. And a little bit later, he said, Dad, I'd like to run a mini marathon. He said, Wow, I don't know if I can handle that, but we'll do it. And they did. Then he said, Dad, I want to run a marathon with you. And then it was the Boston Marathon. And then a triathlon. And then they, he said, let's do the Ironman in Hawaii. And they did all those things. Several times, many times. And Dad was in his 60s. Now, after explaining that as a preface, Mike put on a video and showed us uh, a video of Rick and Dick Hoyt. Has anybody here seen the, the Hoyt videos? If you see them, make sure you've got a full box of Kleenex. You see, what, what we saw was Dick Hoyt swimming, what is it, two miles or whatever, amidst the, the horde of other swimmers in the, in the triathlon, with a dinghy tethered behind him, attached to his body, with his son Rick laying there. You see, Rick was born with the umbilical cord attached around his or tightened around his neck, and he suffered cerebral palsy. He has no control over his body. He can't even speak until they discover the technology to help him communicate. And then you see excuse me. It's powerful. Then you see uh, Dick picking up his son and putting him into a carriage on his bike. How many miles is it? A hundred that you have to drive? You have to, you have to pedal. And carrying his son through the, the bike race. And then you see t- putting him in a carriage that he pushes for the 26 miles. And then you see them coming into the finish line. And Rick flailing his arms around in joy. It is the most humbling thing that a father can see. See that kind of love for a son. Now, the, I thought about showing it, but I, it would overwhelm our, the message completely, <laughs> get us completely off track. The point that I wanted to make is that why did Mike Haley show us that video? You see, Mike had a father. In fact, He was an active father. He owned an an athletic equipment store. But he didn't really treat Mike like a son. In fact, he called Mike his third daughter because Mike didn't measure up to his father's expectations as an athlete. Then one day a youth minister showed some interest in Mike and I think when he was 10 or 11 and started to take him to church events. And Mike so much appreciated that attention. One day after the relationship developed, the youth minister made physical advancements on Mike and led him into years of the homosexual lifestyle of pain and suffering until one day when an ex-gay friend of his persistently pursued him to call him out of the lifestyle and to come back to Christ. And see, what Mike was saying was that that's what I needed was a father that loved me. It was huge. It was huge. The point for me is that we should neither Avoid nor be intimidated by people caught in the homosexual lifestyle. Yes, God condemns the sin in no uncertain terms. But people fall into these sinful patterns for a reason. And we should look at them as part of the harvest, as an opportunity to bring glory to God. Paul saw this among the Corinthian believers. He said, you yourselves, wrong and defraud, you do this to your own brothers. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor idolaters, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you. There were former homosexuals that he was talking to, part of the Corinthian church. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. So, what can we do? What can you and I do? Well, if we're married, we need to both seek and model the best marriage possible for others to emulate. While when others observe lion and lamb couples, they should see husbands who love their wives to the point of sacrifice and wives who reverence their imperfect husbands a picture of Christ in the church. If you're in a difficult marriage or no marriage at all at this time, seek God's wisdom as to how to promote His ideal in your situation. If you've never been married, find out as much as you can to prepare for the most important relationship that you will have with another person on earth. For the males here, we have a perfect opportunity to talk about our part in this at the men's advance in just about four weeks. In fact, Stan gave me a note to read here, a, a plug. Men, young and old, please come to be sharpened and to sharpen the iron of other men on October 24th and 25th at the Branded B Ranch off of Lake Perry. In addition to hearty fellowship and great food, there will be several presentations and group discussions on issues that challenge men daily. One topic is how to be a real man in winning the heart of your future life partner and then how to make her the most important focus of your earthly relationships. Of course, if you already have this figured out in your life, you don't need to come. But those of you who would like a few pointers, we hope you will join us. Note: Please don't look directly at Matt during this announcement. Just in his general direction. Well, Matt, the uh, the uniform for that event is denim and flannel. Okay. Let's pray. Father, we give praise to you, and we ask, Lord, that you would continually be with us here. Lord, we need you to sort through this difficult issue, how we as a body can purify ourselves first, how we can model uh, the best marriages and promote the best marriages and families within our culture how we can encourage other Christians to do the same. How, Lord, we should never respond in anger uh, to those on either side of us, but we should always respond with the truth in love. Father, thank you. Thank you for the acceptance of these folks here and how I know that they desire this for their families. We just pray that you would continue to do your work in our lives And make us stronger vessels for your work. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.